We're going to be reading out of Revelation 21. I'll be reading verse 3 and then 22 through 27. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are in are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, everyone. Uh, it's so good to be here with you guys. Uh, hey, before we jump in, I, I really just wanted to say thank you uh, to everyone that texted or just checked in. Um, just this week is a, a pretty heavy week, particularly for my family, uh, my extended family. Uh, one of my aunt's uh, husbands, my uncle, uh, my favorite uncle, passed away uh, due to a heart attack. And it was, it was a pretty hard, tragic um, thing that happened. Um, but at a, whenever we get into our prayer series, I, I want to share something that happened that was really powerful. And I think that Lauren shared it yesterday uh, for, for some of you who were at the uh, game night. Uh, but I, I really just thank you. Just, just wanted to say thank you for those of you that just reached out and, uh, and just prayed, even if, it, even if you didn't reach out and you prayed. Thank you so much. Uh, I know that I felt those prayers and, and I know uh, my aunt and my three cousins, so he had three kids, uh, they're, they're kind of in shock still. Like if you talk to them, they don't, they don't really have words uh, to be able to describe uh, how they're feeling or how they're doing. So if you think of the Solaris family, uh, just, just pray for them and ask that the Lord would give them comfort uh, because it was a pretty hard, tragic thing that happened. Um, but it was also, they're very much comforted in knowing that my uncle was somebody who knew the Lord, uh, who was steadfast in the Lord. And I'll share a little bit more of his story uh, and whenever we get into the prayer series, because if there's one thing that I know my uncle was, was a, a man of prayer and a man who sought after the presence of God. But I just wanted to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart um, for the prayers and, and just checking in on me. Uh, and yeah, thank you. All right. Y'all ready to jump in? Yeah. All right. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling uh, the renewal of all things. And as we continue to go through it, uh, I hope that first you would read the last two chapters of Revelation in a way that causes us to remember hope. I think that was a real visceral reality as we went through this week and just remembering that there is a hope. Uh, that we have as we look forward to. And, and anytime you're going through a difficult situation and a difficult circumstance, you can know that you have hope. And we'll talk about that here uh, and a, as a reminder here in a little bit. Second, in remembering hope that we would be conscious that today's pleasures are but a foretaste of what is to come. And lastly, uh, that we would let what is to come fuel and empower us today 
to live unto renewal. And so I want to remind you of what we have said thus far about biblical hope. Biblical hope we've defined as a certain or sure expectation. That if you think about, uh, I asked you the, the first week to not think about uh, hope in the way that even our English language or English vernacular talks about hope because when you really stop to think about it in English, there's no really such thing as a certain expectation or a certain hope. Because when we think about the idea of hope or the definition of hope, we think about hope in a way of like, maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. Biblical hope is really just a certain or a sure expectation that what you know is going to happen, it's going to happen. There is no uh, gray in between. And so when more specifically, uh, we have a certain or sure expectation that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And so our lives then, knowing that reality, that when we think about Jesus coming back again, and when we think about his kingdom having no end, uh, our lives must be lived in the reality and certain expectation then of his return. That when he returns, we know it will be a glorious return for those who are anticipating his return by possessing, strengthening, and persevering in steadfast faith in him. We remain in him. We persevere in him. We look to him. We remember the lamb. If you, if you remember, even as we were talking about that, we remember him in order to uh, remain steadfast and persevere even in the midst of life's difficult circumstances. Now, we remember him because we are living in the story of scripture, which we have called the drama of scripture. And the drama of Scripture encompasses four parts. I hope that at the end of these four weeks, so at the end of next week, you can kind of talk about and say, what is the drama of Scripture? The drama of Scripture encompasses four parts. Ready? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Redemption, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And each of us lives and goes through life attempting to answer uh, four questions. And these are life's big questions. Where do I come from? What went wrong? How do we fix it? And what is my purpose? I think all of us at, at a certain point in our life, uh, we have asked these questions, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. You're going to ask these questions because you want your life to have some sort of meaning and the drama of Scripture, as you read the Bible, answers those questions by, by saying this. And I'm going to give you more of a, of a uh, my attempt has been just to give you kind of a sweep, uh, a big picture, a 30,000 foot view, if you will. And the way that the story answers those questions is that we were made in God's image. Then sin enters the world and we die. And we have defined that death, not just as a physical death, that we no longer have eternal life as long as we are in this life that we are in, but it's also a spiritual death where we have been separated from God because of our sin. Separated from his presence. And then life then, uh, in order to find life, you must find life through Jesus. And 
And when we find life through Jesus, we live this life unto the renewal of all things, both in the way that we live today and the certain hope we have of what is to come. And we have said that knowing and living in this story informs the way that we engage with the culture around us. And it is because of Jesus or because of the life of Jesus who, if you remember as we walk through Revelation, Revelation paints Jesus as the lamb that was slain. Do you remember that? Where the song of the angels is, blessed is he who, uh, the lamb that was slain, for he purchased for himself a people and a nation to serve him. And so Revelation pictures a lamb that was slain that we're able to look forward to life in and with Jesus in a world that will be made new. And so as we look forward to that life where we will get to live with him for all of eternity that has implications for our life today, that when you taste the pleasures of life, when you experience the pleasures of, our, of life today, you are recognizing and you're seeing, and my hope is that you would become conscious of the fact that these are just a foretaste of what is to come. That when you look at, uh, if, you, if you've ever been to Colorado, if you've ever been to a beautiful part of the world, that when you look at the mountains or when you look at even being at the beach, you recognize that that is but a foretaste of what is to come. And so understanding this story rightly allows us to live uh, in the Christian story with a holistic and encompassing worldview. You see, the modern church um, has mostly only told half of the story. A story that is more like a system than a story to be lived out. Typically then, in the modern church, the, the story plays out in two parts rather than four. The two parts being fall and redemption. The system then, what it does is that it removes the creator and the solid understanding of where we come from. And in the end, removes the responsibility from whom we ought to be because we remove who we are being shaped into being. So making Christian living more of a system or a half story, what we do is that we lose cultural influence because it cannot answer two important questions of the story arc of our lives. Namely, the half story cannot answer the question of where did I come from and what is my purpose? Are you seeing that? So this in essence and in substance is the story of religious secularism or religious humanism at best. That where we make God out to be a genie in a bottle, rub the right way, get three wishes, and it's not a personal or relational, uh, or, or you don't get a personal or relational God who loves to be with you and conforms you more into his image. And so what we are doing is that we are in the middle of unpacking how understanding what is to come fuels us today to live unto and participate in renewal. You tracking with me so far? Okay. Now, uh, we introduced the renewal framework uh, that we are using at Ecclesia City to help us guide us, to help guide us through uh, these 
four weeks. And I mentioned that uh, I believe that utilizing this framework in our discipleship endeavors has the potential to build solid disciples of Jesus that faithfully live out the drama of scripture, and we remain relevant in a culture that is looking for answers and life's major questions. And this is simply a framework, okay? There's no magic in the framework. Uh, Frameworks help guide us as we join Jesus in the renewal of all things. So the framework then is made up of five parts that uh, essentially run in sequence, encounter, engage, equip, embody, and empower. And the entirety of the circle that when you look at this circle is just a representation, but it represents a holistic disciple, a holistic disciple of Jesus that participates in each of these aspects in order to bring renewal to their sphere of influence. And my hope is that you will see how each of these components interact in your daily life so as to bring renewal to your personal discipleship to Jesus. And then there's an outflow that goes as you begin to disciple others. Now, last week we identified the center of this framework by saying that encounter is the fuel of renewal. We are fueled by encountering the presence of God, the power behind all, and we said that this was the power behind all other renewal pursuits. The reason why we put it in the middle and why it's touching every other, every other section of the circle is because out of this encounter, out of encountering God, we see that we are empowered, that we are able to engage, that we are able to equip, that we are embodied, that we are empowered to be able to join Jesus in the renewal of all things. And so from the ebb and flow of encounter, we take on these different renewal pursuits as the Spirit leads us on our life's journey of growing into the fullness of Christ. And so in the fullness of Jesus, in obedience to the Spirit's leading, we're able to partner with the Father's will to bring renewal to all things. And so from encounter, we said that we are able to engage. And then we said that engage is the invitation of renewal. That out of encountering God, we engage with others and invite them to the table because we have been invited to the table. Now, I want to say this just as a little bit of a side note. Um, we, as we were talking about this framework and really kind of wrestling and working through it, um, we kind of started with a square. We kind of we kind of went through so many different iterations of like, what shape should this take, right? And we decided on the circle. And the reason why we decided on the circle is because we envisioned this being a table of invitation that Jesus invites us to a table to be able to invite others in and gather together as the people of God. Why? Because we said that what we were wanting to be at Ecclesia City is to be a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. And so this isn't a a fluke that we just happened to stumble upon a a, a circle. We just sensed that the Lord was just doing something around circles. And my hope is is that that you'll begin to see how the table in particular shaped in a circle is, is, um, is made in such a way where there are no greater ones than others, but instead everyone is invited to this table, the table of Jesus. And we engage with others because you, I, together, us, 
we have been invited to the table. And if you have been invited to the table, I'm just going to say this about myself. If I've been invited to the table, then anyone is invited to this table. So let's talk about the next uh, renewal pursuit, embody. Okay? Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, I want you to bear with me as, as I point out an important aspect of what is going on here. Um, it's really important to so lean in. What isn't immediately apparent in this verse, but what the hearers of Revelation would have immediately picked up on is that uh, the, is the expectation of the Israelite community and the reality of what happens upon Jesus's return. Let me explain what I mean by that. Since the time of Abraham, uh, uh, it, uh, since he appears on the scene in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, meaning his children, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yes. Everybody who grew up in church remembers that, right? And what seemingly happened and what the Bible highlights is that God took a particular people and made them into a great nation. We were once no people and God made us a people. That's what you hear. And this people were made a people because God gave them land, God gave them leaders, and God gave them laws that created an ethnic and cultural identity, i.e. created a nation and this nation was identified by an, an exclusive ethnicity and cultural identity maintained by keeping and observing the law of God, thereby making them the people of God. Tracking? Okay. Jesus, who is the Son of God, or also God in the flesh, was born into this ethnic and cultural identity and if you read the genealogies found in, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke of Jesus, you will notice that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus himself said that I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he said that he came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It's a hard thing to recognize that when you read that, there's something that is happening here that goes beyond what you and I maybe understand in the moment. Now, we have also learned in our journey throughout Revelation that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as pictured in the lamb that was slain, God fulfilled the promise made to Abraham that his seed or that the nations will be blessed through Jesus and he blessed every nation, tribe, language, and tongue by grafting them in to the people of God. And so what we see in what is to come, like what we're seeing in Revelation 21 right now, is a gathering of people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, including the seemingly exclusive people of God, and God dwells with them, becoming their God, and thereby making everyone in this community the people of God. 
That's good news. What we are seeing in this verse is not an exclusive, you have to become a Jew in order to partake in the future kingdom or in what is to come. No, this is why all of us that are in here are gathered today because not because of the blood of Jesus. Right. That when Jesus gave up his life, he didn't just die for the Jew. He also died for the Gentile. He died for those that then he grafted in. And now all of us are now called the people of God. Praise the Lord for that. So what we get to embody then, here's, here's, write this down. What we get to embody is being the people of God. And so embody is the movement of renewal. We are no longer a people that are identified by keeping the mosaic and, and civil and ceremonial laws. However, we keep the moral laws of God by loving him and loving others. And if the way of the Lamb is one of service, sacrifice, and, and death, then we as the people of God must align our practice with our confession in this community of faith to embody the ways of Jesus in our city. We minister to the world by being known as people of love. In other words, we are people of the Lamb. That we are not identified by our ethnicity to be people of God. We are not identified by some sort of cultural identity that is exclusive to a particular nation. No, the culture that we identify with or the ethnicity, if you will, that Jesus turns us into is an ethnicity of love. It's a cultural, it's a culture of love to be like Jesus. And so how do we walk this out? We walk this out in community. That our personal formation, like our personal discipleship, meets the strength of the community as we collectively sharpen one another under the banner of love and unity. And we put sin to death. We adopt ancient spiritual practices and join the Spirit in our formation as people of love and good works. We practice grace-filled accountability. We spur one another unto love and good works. We outdo one another in honor. We don't isolate, but in community, we work out our salvation all the more as we see the day draw near, is what Hebrews would say. And so lean in here. Like, like if you're still maybe not grasping, I want you to just listen to this real quick. That I believe that as, as I was praying through this and working and, and, and trying to thread the needle here, if you will, I believe that the Holy Spirit is highlighting something important for our community here at Ecclesia City. And we've known this to be true uh, as highlighted in the pictures that, that I posted when, in previous uh, teachings when I posted the picture of like Death Valley. If you remember that, it just seemed to resonate. Or whenever we talked about uh, the story of feasting as an act of war, in, as I talked about Narnia. Now, I believe that we're entering into a time where the following is becoming more acute and we must be intentional about it as a community. Here it is. God is dealing with each of us, each of you individually to dig up root out, 
press into and bring to the open the little compromises that hinder us from becoming people who embody the kingdom of God. I believe that what you used to get away with without any conviction or second thought, God is highlighting and wanting to ruthlessly call us to a holiness that not only changes your life by encountering his presence, but also changes generational legacies because you're building your life and homes upon the solid foundation of God, becoming your God and you becoming one of his people. Said another way, he calls us his children and the inheritance that he has for us is life and satisfaction in him and his ways. And so the seemingly little things become big things because he's ruthlessly after our hearts. And as, I, as a community, we must press into it and do so with love for God and for one another. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. This uh, place that I think that we, that, that the Holy Spirit was just dealing and just highlighting uh, to me as I, as I was just praying for you and just thinking about uh, God becoming our God and us becoming his people is that we are identified by his spirit, being led of his spirit. And if his spirit begins to highlight these little places in our lives, these, these things that we have uh, allowed compromise, like, like we allowed compromise to enter into these little places, if we don't respond to that, it keeps us from becoming his people. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And so, EC, friends, family, you who are in here, just know that it is the cry of my heart. It is a prayer that I have that, Lord, would you just deal with these little areas that may not be so blatantly obvious, but you know, Spirit, you know where those places are and call us to embody you in such a way that we remove these areas in our lives and, and we continually put those things to death so that we can embody more of you in our lives each and every single day. So Lord, would you help us? So embodying the way of Jesus gives way then to the work of renewal, which we call equip. Revelation 21, uh, this is 22 through 27. Uh, pay attention here. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it, it, gives it, it, gives it light. I always get tongue tied there. And the lamp is its lamp. There you go. And the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there and the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what we have already established is that in the new heavens and the new earth, the presence of God is now dwelling among God's people. 
What we see in these verses is that the center of what was once the Jewish culture and society, i.e. the temple, is no longer necessary because the Father and the Son are the temple. Their presence is the temple. The world then becomes the temple. The glory of God then gives this new earth the light it needs so that the nations then are able to walk by it and the kings of the earth are able to bring their splendor into it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and state that what should be obvious to you by now, it, and as we've been going through Revelation, remember the phrase, not all is like what it seems. What does it mean for the nations to walk by the glory, uh, 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 to walk by the light of the glory of God, and to have the kings of those nations bring their glory and honor into it? I know you were asking that question. Now, let me explain the future reality in order to give context to our present endeavors. Got it? Here's the future reality. If you can't tell already, this is almost like a really hard text to be able to kind of uh, like, like explain because there's so many nuances that as you read this, it's, I'm, I'm trying to break it down. And so bear with me and lean in here a little bit. That we've seen in our journey throughout Revelation that the nations, rulers, and kings are mostly those who have obstinately cursed God and have come against him, even when everything happening around them should have made them repent and turn to God. So when you see all of a sudden that in the new heavens and the new earth, there are nations and kings now entering in and they're bringing their glory and their honor and their splendor to God, it, it, it should cause you to pause and say, wait, hold on, who are these people? We also see, though, that there are nations, rulers, and kings who, by virtue of their faith and perseverance in the Lamb that was slain, were sealed and identified as God's people upon whom the judgment of God did not fall. You remember that? So what are we seeing in this scene? We are seeing a people who are enveloped in the glory of God or in the presence of God, that they bring their honor and their glory into this new reality and they give it to God who is the one worthy of all honor and glory. Like we sang that song today. We're going to be singing that song forever and we're going to be aligning our practice with our confession when we get there that whatever honor and glory, and we'll get into this here in a minute, you have, you're going to be offering it up to Jesus who is worthy of it all. So I have two questions and I believe that the questions are pertinent to us today. And they're real practical questions, but I'm willing to put money on the line and bet that many of you would be hard-pressed to give a clear, articulate answer. Ready? Here are the two questions. How does one gain honor, and how does one gain glory? See what I mean? I mean, I, I bet that you're racking your brain. And for some of you who have grown up in church are perhaps even afraid to answer the first question and are most likely appalled by the second. 
Now, I don't want to drag this out too much, so I'll just tell you. Ready? Okay. First, we must know that glory and honor are first given to you by God because you were created in his image. We have said that every human being has intrinsic worth and value because you were created by a God who loves you and breathed his life or breathed his spirit in you and made you come alive. Where did we come from? God created us. So first, one gains honor and glory because God gives it to you. Now, another way that you gain honor and glory, you ready? Is by what you do. It's by your works. This is mostly seen uh, like when you really start thinking about, man, what do you mean, Johnny? This is mostly seen whenever you go to a funeral. I was really struck by this this week. You go to a funeral and what happens? That the person who died, if he was generally some, somewhat of a good person, you hear of Uh, people get up there and what they do is that they honor and they give glory essentially to this person that has passed away. You hear of what they did that made them who they were and those that stand up and honor their lives by telling and announcing their good needs uh, stand up and they say, this was a good man, this was a good woman and I can remember that they were a loving person, a prayerful person, they were this or that. It was by what they did. And so, therefore, in the already but not yet, in the life that we live, we equip our hearts and minds with truth to prepare for the kingdom work at hand. Let me explain. Equip is the work of renewal. We equip our hearts and minds with the truth of God's word, which anchors us to God and his plan for us. And so, through the consistent study and practice of the Word of God. We grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word. We grow confidence in our calling and fruitful good works as as royal priests in His kingdom. We spur one another on with God's Word, sharing that what the Spirit is teaching and highlighting in us. We spur one another on on how to overcome evil and the temptations to give in to our selfish desires and the plans of the enemy. We speak of and declare of the goodness of God so that we can together focus our eyes on Jesus and be oriented back to his presence. And so when we are equipped with the Word of God, when we understand who God is because we are in this book and we're encouraging each other with the words of this book, then we are able to unlock spiritual rest because we recline in the knowledge of a holy God. We are secure to God's nature and plan, being no longer dependent on self or, or for guidance, strength, and wisdom. And we know that we are equipping one another when we sharpen one another and allow sanctification to happen so that it isn't your glory that others see, that it isn't you that they are seeing because you are a good person. But when people look at you, that they would look at you not because of what you are doing, but because what you are doing is pointing to something greater and the glory of someone greater. And what they're going to say is, look 
what the Lord has done. Like, I knew Johnny when he was in middle school and in high school. And look what the Lord has done. And maybe you can say that about yourself. I mean, I was, uh, I keep talking about this, but I was at this funeral this week and there was people that I hadn't seen in years. And I was blessed to be able to give the, uh, like to read out the biography of my uncle. And I added a little bit of a, a piece there. And there were people that I hadn't seen since I was a little kid that they were coming up to me and they said, hey, you should be a preacher. Like you should, you, you should be a pastor because of the way that you spoke. And I had to humbly and just say, hey, I actually am. You know? so, and then whenever I would say that, they would say, I'm not surprised by that because of the way that you spoke. We just saw that God is working in you. And we have seen how God has just worked in you in such a way that you were once a timid boy who would stutter a lot. And look what the Lord has done. I was almost offended, but then I realized, no, like this is the Lord's work. And so what we get to do that if we piss, not, persevere, sorry, if we persevere, what we get is honor and glory. We do get that because our works uh, in many ways uh, produce honor people honor us people are able to glory and what we do is that we get to bring that with us into what is to come and we offer it before god and this is a picture that says god you have our absolute wholehearted service because my allegiance is to god it is not to myself and so why do I wake up early in the morning? Why do I participate in wanting to encounter God every single day? It is not so that I can become full of honor and glory. It's so that I can be a moon for the sun. And what does a moon do? It reflects the sun. It reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't have its own light. There's only one sun. His, and there's S-O-N. His name is Jesus. And his glory is what shines. And when his glory shines, I don't want to be something that absorbs glory. I am meant to reflect glory. And so what we do is that we submit ourselves to God and the work that he has done in the lives of his people. And we and teach and learn how to embody his ways. And it's not going to come easy. It's not going to be served on a silver platter. It's, it's, it's hard pressing into these areas of our lives that the Holy Spirit is highlighting. It's hard to humbly walk out whenever there's praise of man around us telling us of what God has done in your life. Everything in us, in us wants to absorb it and say, look what I've done. But that, all of that, uh, D.A. Carson calls it grace-driven effort. The reason why we're able to work like that is because of God's grace. It's all grace. But when you look back and whenever you remember hope, you will see how much you have grown in your knowledge of God and in your pursuit of him. Like, 
If you ever look at pictures of yourself, I, we've done this so many times in our family. You look at pictures of, of you as a kid and, and, and sometimes even stages of life that you're in. And you look at that and you're like, oh man, I remember everything that was happening in that moment in my life. But my hope is, is that as, as, we, as we continually just encounter God and out of this encounter, we begin to equip one another. We can spur one another and encourage one another with the word of God that says, look what the Lord has done. In my distress or in my sin, I called out to the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of that slimy pit. He lifted me out of that mud and mire. What is it saying? He's exalting me. He's placing me in a place of honor and glory. But it's all God. It's all grace. Woo, I'm getting excited. But man, we get the opportunity to equip one another and being and spur one another to embody the way of Jesus and learn his word so that whenever we look back and see how far the Lord has brought us, we can say, look what the Lord has done. Look what he's done. And I'm so encouraged and why I'm so, I, I was initially like, Holy Spirit, are you sure you want me to mention like these little places of compromise? You sure you want me to talk about that? And, and I just heard him say, yes. Because what we don't see a lot of times is, man, like these little places though, may seem to other people like, oh man, that, that's nothing. But for you, it's something. For me, it's something. And I, I don't want to pretend to know what those are for your life. I know what they are for my life. But here's the question for ministry time. And this is what I want us to pray over one another on. I want to equip one another. I want us to embody this together and minister to one another. What are the seemingly little things that God is highlighting for you to turn over to him to become more like him? One question. This is the place where I think that the Holy Spirit is just inviting us in, that when we look to the future, when we look to what is to come, and we see God's presence dwelling in what is to come, that if his presence is going to dwell with us, he's going to be highlighting some things. That when we, um, when we think about becoming more like him. I think that there's big things that he's going to highlight and we just have to put to death. Put like just we know we have to put those things to death. But man, there's these again, these little things that I believe that he's starting to highlight as big things. That if we would just lean into those and we just say, Holy Spirit, will you give me the grace to put those things to death and step into you calling me to be more like you. I think that there's something that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do just in a beautiful way among us. And y'all, I just want to add this last piece. I would, my prayer through all of this is that we would be ruthless about putting sin to death but that we would be so grace-filled in our encouragement unto it 
And that rather than assuming the worst, that we would assume the best and that we would say, let me fight with you. And that when you hear that, that you would hold on to that and latch on to that and know that whoever says that to you is for you, not against you. Because together, you, the nations of the earth, the kings of the earth, we're all going to bring the honor and the glory. And we're going to bring it into this kingdom. And we're going to say, God, this is yours. It's not mine. So let's be for one another in that and spur one another in that way. Let's be like Jesus. That as we transition into our ministry time, I want us to take communion first. And as we partake of communion, that we would partake of it in such a way that we recognize that the broken body of Jesus and this blood that was spilled was so that you would receive his grace and his help in time of need. And I I believe we find ourselves in a time of need right now. It's Holy Spirit. You're highlighting these little places that I've even tried to ignore. But Lord, you're calling us deeper. You're calling me deeper. And so God, I begin to pray over this group. And I pray that as we partake of communion, that that communion is the invitation to the table to encounter your body, to encounter your blood, your body that heals, your blood that washes away sin. And that as we eat and we partake, that we would remember you and what you have done. And that it is because of you that we want to become more like you. So Holy Spirit, would you come Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.